All right. This is great. It's such a joy to be here. It's actually amazing even realizing, you know, from afar how many, how many people, you know, we already have connections over the years. It's, a, it's a, an amazing, intimate kingdom in which the, the Holy Spirit has knitted us together. So praise God for that. Uh, and it is, I've been looking forward to this. And you know, the, the Denver church has always been such an inspiring church, even realizing the, the depth of conviction that has been here and, and really the depth of biblical knowledge. You've got the Rocky Mountain School, all that Glenn's been doing. And I know that John is a, a guy that just goes deep all the time. Uh, and, and so I was even wondering with him, I was like, well, is there anything left to even, you know, kind of teach on here? Prayerfully there will be. And he said that you guys will be really polite and like nod, even though you've heard it like a bunch of times before. But that's fine. I'll, I'll still go through with it nonetheless. Uh, I'm, I'm really excited about some of these topics. I've never actually taught them in, in, in this way before. But the reason I'm so excited about them is that it's no secret that we all went through a bit of a turmoil a few years back. And when we came out of that turmoil, we were all left wondering, what do we do? And, and one of the things that I think we were left looking at were some of the classic scriptures on discipleship. And at first, a lot of those scriptures had a bit of a, thanks, had a, bit of a punch to them because we had really good stories that went with them. And sometimes it was the stories that convicted us more than the actual word of God. And then sometimes our stories were so good that we bent the scriptures to kind of mean what our stories meant. And... And we ended up in kind of an odd place at different times with all of that. But so we were then kind of left kind of with a blank sheet of paper again, able to look not at a blank sheet of paper, but to be able to look at the Bible itself without all of the subtext of, of what we had added to it. And, and then to start to take a deeper exegetical look, which praise God, I think that's been one of the great advances of the, of the last six, seven years is that everybody's been so excited about really going deeper. And as we do, we end up thinking, oh my goodness, this stuff is like twice as convicting when I take all the other stuff away. You know, and we were only left with the word of God, the context around which it was said, and, and really to have the same meaning that it was given to those that heard it for the very first time. And we're left thinking, can I really do this? And, and please, Holy Spirit, bring me to a place where I can have that depth of conviction to really search forward. And, and here's praying that I'll be able to convey some of those experiences that I know that I've had in being able to study out some of these scriptures along the way. Uh, pr pray with me again, if you would, and, and we'll start to take a look at some scriptures that are familiar, but here's praying, uh, still quite amazing. God, what a joy it is to, to, to be here with this great group of saints, uh, having come all the way down from, uh, from, from uh, CSU, up, up from from uh, uh, Colorado Springs. Uh, thank you, God, for everybody all throughout this region. Please bless it. It's so great. Everywhere you look, you can't help but just throw your hands up and say, God is great. <laughs> you, this is an amazing place and amazing people. It's a great combination. Thank you for it, God. And let this morning be a time that really does reignite us for not only a love of your word, but a crystal clear picture of Jesus, our Savior, and his call for us. Thanks, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, turn in your Bibles over to Mark chapter 1. How many times have you been there in a discipleship study? It's 
Let's read it. You probably can quote it. Verse 16. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. I'll be doing the NIV 2011, so a couple of you be, oh, wait, what was that? <laughs> when they had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. A little later on, we'll also see a call that was given as Jesus kind of comes out of the water, starts heading up the road, and he encounters Levi. And he does that in chapter 2, verse 13. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. Now, this one in particular, my, my sons, when they were little, you know, we'd, we'd get those DVDs that would have the visual Bible. And, and this scene in particular, you just have Jesus coming up to Matthew or Levi, and he just looks at him, and he just says these two words, follow me. And my sons were so enthralled because the guy who played Jesus was really compelling in those DVDs. And they would always imitate that. And they loved, they loved walking up to either me or anybody. And they would just kind of have that same like loving, cool, yet intense look. And they'd try to replicate it as best they could. And they would just be like, follow me. And, and, and you know, they, they thought it was like the, the force of the way that he said it or just the right look that was in his eye or what could it have been. And, and, you know, and we all wrestle with that. How is it that these guys, and in all these cases here, that they are just given two words of information? Whereas we have to study for eight weeks with somebody over and over and over again before they're able to really just drop everything and, and get after it. What was it that was conveyed that allowed them to be able to do you know, just exactly that? And so we, we are going to look at this call of the rabbi. And... The rabbi-disciple relationship was one that was very clear for the people that would have been in the audience hearing Jesus at the time. And, and likely the case is, is that these guys are in the boat because, compared to the other people who would have already been called in their lives, they were not quite as equipped. Maybe they weren't quite as intellectually astute. They just didn't have it going on that other rabbis would have chosen people. But the best and the brightest would have kind of made it into these, you know, Ivy League rabbi schools at that time when, when called. They would have learned to trade. They would have actually gone to school until about the age of 11, uh, age of 13, if you're a kid in Jerusalem at this time in, in Israel. And then after that, you would have learned to trade in some sort of an apprentice type program. But then on top of that, if it, if it seemed as though you had a lot on the ball spiritually and, you know, some, some, some pretty good uh, horsepower up, up above, then you would be called by a rabbi for this extra training. And, and it may have been that either the disciples were very young because they had not been picked by another rabbi yet, that, that may be the case, or they were the dregs. You know, they were the classic, everybody got picked in the schoolyard and they're there left. And they all go on and they think, well, let's, let's just go back to fishing, I guess. I guess we're just Galilean fishermen after all. And, and that's our, our, our lot in life. E either way, it's, it's actually inspiring 
as they're, they're given this call by Jesus. And if it is the case that they were not picked or they were picked over and later they're still wanting for this, this great call, imagine how their hearts would have leapt if this was really their desire to be able to do exactly this very thing, to actually be immersed in, in this sort of a, a training that, that Jesus provides to them. But what is it, though, that it means to follow? It's a very common word for us today. It's very, very much a, a prosaic or, or mundane word of, of just, you know, you, you can follow somebody on Twitter, right? I mean, there's a, one of those inspiration pictures here. No, I'm not talking about Twitter. I literally want you to follow me. But here's, here's that scene of, of Levi, and you know, here's, here's that scripture that we just read. And if you have a red-letter version of your Bible, there's only two red-letter words there. Just follow me. And so what does that really entail? Well, the, the original Greek word is an interesting one. It's, it's the word akalatheo, and there it is for you. Um, and transliterated as well, for those of you keeping score at home. But what, what exactly does that mean? Now, actually, the reason that he was able to say just two words is because akalatheo was not a general term. It was a very technical term. Now, it could be used in a general way, but it was also, when it was used from the lips of a rabbi looking for a disciple, there was no doubt in the audience's mind what the depth of that meant. And there is a pregnancy to that, to that word. You know, I was thinking, I ought to turn off my phone sound. At least it was a gentle reminder. <laughs> uh, and I'll unplug it since we don't need that either. Uh, but this, this idea of this word, and it's the word that is, is given here in Mark 1. It's the word that's given in Mark 2. It's the word that we'll encounter in Mark 8, that anybody wants to come after me, the akalatheo. Anybody wants to be my disciple? As a matter of fact, it's translated that way at times, akalatheo. Then here's what they need to do. Deny themselves, take up the cross, and akalatheo, follow me. Now, in all of these times that it's used, it's used 90 times in 83 verses in our New Testament. And the great majority, I mean, great, great majority, except for a few times where it says the crowds followed Jesus. At those times, that may not actually mean that they were really trying to practice discipleship at that moment. But those are about the only verses where it really doesn't mean exactly that uh, throughout our New, New Testament. And as a matter of fact, I think through the New Testament, they're, they're almost all used in the, the Gospels. There's only just a, a few isolated spots outside of the Gospels where, where you have it uh, used beyond that. And 1 Corinthians has this idea of, um, of them following the rock, uh, which was Jesus. And so there's still kind of an idea there of a, of a devoted type following. Uh, and then you have some nasty references to like the beast following you know, the, um, uh, the, the, uh, the Antichrist in Revelation and a couple, couple passages there. But it may actually mean, even though he came after him, it may actually mean that the beast was in fact some sort of a disciple of the Antichrist as, as well. So, but anyway, having said all that, the, the idea of, of Akalatheo, there's, there's one reference that, no matter what stripe of Christianity you might be out there, there's one reference that everybody seems to hold in pretty high regard. Uh, everybody's going to take exception to parts, but it's called the Theological Dictionary of the New Testament. And if you look up this word akalatheo in the TDNT, you end up with not just a couple lines of definition, you end up with pages upon pages of, of definition. 
uh, from that. And the, the, main, the main aspects of Akalotheo that come across when you use, look at all of its references, both in secular Greek, in the Old Testament usage of it, one of the classic examples of Akalotheo in the Old Testament is Elijah and Elisha. Uh, then, then also looking at it throughout all the New Testament references, how the early church used it in, in their writings is that it, it was a technical word that meant you were going to be completely immersed in the rabbi's life. That what you hoped to do was to, and as, as some Jews would quote, is to have the dust of the rabbi be the dust that is on you. That you would follow that closely with, with all that he did, attempting to imitate him all along the way, trying to learn what it is that he was teaching. In that immersion, it wasn't schoolroom type teaching, but it was more the apprenticeship type, type teaching that uh, he, he actually calls us to. It is interesting that the word that is also used in Mark 1, uh, when, when he talks about them uh, be becoming fishers of men, and that it says that they were preparing their nets at the time. And that is actually a, a word also, this, this idea of preparing. It's, it's also the word that we use later on of, of equipping the saints for works of service. It's kartartidzo. Artidzo is where we get the word for artisan. It is, is this whole idea of, of, a, of a craftsman trying to really craft the next generation of craftsmen that come after him. It's, it's not our educational system. It is walking with someone so closely that you will really be transformed into that person. Now, here's the other interesting thing that has to do with Akalatheo. As Jesus used it, and, and even as it was used generally, it was the idea of extrinsically bringing about change rather than intrinsically bringing about change. In other words, if you can imitate Jesus and walk with him and be as close to him as possible, that outward activity will, in fact, then begin to produce the inward change that we have. Jesus has something not too different from that when he wants us to actually have our sights set in the right area. That is, to not um, put our treasure here on earth, but our treasure in heaven. And I, and I thought, well, what, what if I don't want to? Well, Jesus says, well, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Implying even if your heart's not there, invest in the heavenly, and your heart will get there. Uh, and I, I mean, think about it. If, um, when, when I worked at Coca-Cola... I, I owned a lot of Coca-Cola stock at the time. And the very first thing I did every day, back then they had these, these big things that you would unfold. They're they called news, newspapers. And, um, and, we would, I, and the very first thing I would do is I'd, I'd get the Wall Street Journal, I'd go flip right back New York Stock Exchange, KO, which is simple for Coca-Cola, and see how it was doing because I was heavily invested in Coca-Cola. And if it went up a half a point, ah, yes, I was the happiest guy. If it went down, I'd be, oh, what am I going to do? i make some moves here. And... And but what's interesting is the the more that I invested, the more those reactions tended to get amplified. But then after I went into the ministry and was destitute and had to cash out of of all of that, I no longer owned any more Coca-Cola stock. Since that day, I can actually say this truthfully: I have never turned or turned on my newspaper uh, and and gone to the New York Stock Exchange to even wonder how it's doing. Did it go up? Go ah? Who cares? Well, you know, my heart is not there. Likewise, if you're involved in March Madness, for example, and you put down one dollar on that bracket, just one simple dollar, suddenly you are a screaming idiot for some place called Coppin State that you never heard of. Come on, you're breaking my heart. What are you doing? Right? Suddenly you're like the expert coach of what Coppin State should be doing. 
Whereas, and because you put one stinking dollar down. But that's what happens. Even when we, when we begin with an extrinsic motivation, our heart will be there also. So when we're having our dark days, just do what's right. And, and our heart will catch up. It may seem overly simplistic, but I'm not the one who said it. Jesus did. That's where your heart will be also. And we don't have to overthink it. We just have to be simply surrendered, childlike, and, and we really will end up in, in that right place. That was a side point. But anyway, we, we come back here. Of, 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 but this is you know, a great way of how it is that we are going to be transformed, as 2 Corinthians says, into the very image of the Son of God. That's, that's blow away in, in terms of promises. That that is what's going on inside of us. But the way that it happens is by us really deciding to practice akalatheo. And, and oftentimes when I'm, I'm looking at come follow me and I will make you become fishers of men, I, I often ask people, what's the command here? Because the command is not go fish, it's come follow. But if you really do decide to, to follow Jesus that closely, what is the inescapable consequence? Well, he will make you become fishers of men. How that exactly happens, I'm not really sure. You know, hitting my alarm and going out on a prayer walk doesn't transform me. But hitting my alarm and going out on a prayer walk puts me in a place where the Spirit can better work on me. And likewise, deciding in our hearts, I'm really going to try to walk in the steps of Jesus Christ, just that decision doesn't transform you. But as you go into about that effort, it puts you in a place where the Holy Spirit then has so much better opportunity with a captive audience and an eager audience to really do the great work of transformation from the inside out that is, that is supposed to come from that. So, uh, so immersion, imitation, and replication. So the, the replication part of it was that the three basic things that you were expected to do as a disciple of a rabbi was to give up everything and just get in there completely be immersed in his teaching, learn all of it completely. The imitation aspect of it was so big that I kind of listed separately, but it could be kind of rolled into this as well. But you were also meant to learn his teachings so well that you could teach them. And you know there's a big difference, learning to learn versus learning to teach. Suddenly you know if you have to learn this material in order to teach it, you are going much deeper into all of that. That was the expectation as one who was practicing akalatheo. You were learning to teach. And then the last expectation, which was a big one, was that your expectation, even today, by the way, when a rabbi is uh, ordained, part of the ordination ceremony is a charge for them to go out and help replicate more rabbis that would follow after them. This was always the expectation of the call of Akalatheo, is that you would then spread those teachings and spread yourself out again so that others could imitate you as you imitate the rabbi, and ultimately as you imitate Christ, as even Paul says for us. And, and it was very much this idea of kind of Jesus is a, a, a peripatetic teacher, meaning that he walks around as he's teaching. It's from peripateo, which just means walking around in Greek. But he's, but he's a peripatetic teacher. And, and it would be as though, you know, recently we went to uh, Israel, and we were walking around, you know, actually that very same spot. That's, it's right where the uh, Sermon on the Mount was. But we were walking around that spot, and the guide was in front of us, you know, talking about things. And, and I saw, it, it looked like we were all really kind of practicing this. We were all kind of jockeying for position. Who can hear him better? Who's in a better position to be able to ask questions? And you really had to fight really hard to make sure that you were getting your time in there to be able to learn, to be able to gain from it, to be able to have the give and take, to be able to have a kind of a dynamic back and forth, critical thinking, so that all of that teaching would be able to be solidified. And so that, that is the, the, the expectation. So our expectation... For us, when we're called to follow Jesus, it's not to think, well, 
you know, it's kind of like a Sunday school class. You know, I'm, I'm going to try to give my heart, but, you know, if I can't make it because of scheduling, well, I just won't show up. It's not a hobby that maybe you could pick up or put down. It is this idea that we are all in for what it is that is expected of us. And we're not all in in a passive way. We're all in on the edge of our seats, on the balls of our feet, walking along, eager to learn all that we can because we know that, my goodness, if I'm really akalotheo, if I'm answering the call to akalotheo, then I'm getting ready to share this with other people. And I'm learning it to share it, and then I am going to replicate as, as a result of this. There would have been no other interpretation by anybody who was being called by Jesus of what it was to, to be able to come and to, and to follow him. And so we have this English word follow, but for us, that takes the edge off. You can follow someone on Twitter. You can actually follow someone's YouTube stream. You, you can have sort of an interest. And for us, it, it means that you're, you're kind of following. You follow the stock market. You follow your favorite team. But none of that is in any way comparable to the very technical aspect of akalatheo, which it is that, that we're called to be able to do. And so if there's a good parallel, those would be parallel lines, I think, uh, to follow in our English language today a word that would as immediately conjure up the depth of the technical expectations that they would have heard in the first century, that all it would take is just Jesus coming by and just kind of saying this one word, and right away you would know, oh my goodness, what it is that is expected of me. Like when those guys heard Akalatheo, they knew right then and then, all right, but we got this fishing boat. What are we? You know, they knew that that was going to go. They knew that that little vacation that they were planning down at the Dead Sea, you know, that's off. Uh, can, I, can I really rearrange all my life right now to be able to be all in to the depth that Akalatheo really does expect? All in. And so I would say probably the, the, the best parallel that we have is the word enlist. If you were walking down the street near a recruiting station and there's a big Marine standing outside that door and you walk by and he just simply says that word to you, enlist, do you need to know much more than that? You know in that instant, in that one word, what the expectation is for you. You know you can either decide I'm either going to finish school or I'm going to do this right now. I can uh, finish uh, you know, getting that promotion, moving, doing, doing whatever. All of that is just no longer applicable in, in our lives. And you also know that if I do this, it could be dangerous. I have no control about where I'm going to go, what I'm going to do. I have another master. I'm no longer Lord at that moment. I'm going to give up my unfettered personal autonomy at that very moment and, and, and turn it over to another? Can I really do that if I enlist? Well, all of those ideas that you might have to swallow hard on and say yes to enlist should be exactly the way that you have to swallow hard on the idea of can I follow? Can I akalatheo with regards to, to Jesus Christ? You know, there was a man who was, who was called to do exactly that. Look at Mark 10. Verse 17, 
As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him, fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one's good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Don't defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher declared, all these I've kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lacked, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. For the disciples that answered the call, when they heard that one word at the end, akalatheo, their hearts leapt. They could not have been more excited to put anything behind them because nothing mattered more to them than the opportunity with this great rabbi to akalatheo. For this man, other things meant more than that opportunity to akalatheo. The disciple, uh, at this man's face fell. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. Easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. You guys have probably heard this already, but you know, they, there's those that claim that there was uh, an eye of the needle gate in Jerusalem and, and for someone to get through it because it was lower than all the other gates, they'd have to bow down on their donkey, uh, on their camel to be able to get through. And that showed that it was humility. And, and really what Jesus is saying there is that you just need to bow down before him. Garbage, garbage, garbage. The, the reference to the eye of the needle as a gate in Jerusalem didn't occur until well after a thousand years. It's the first reference to it. Uh, and, and if it even existed at all, it would have only existed about a thousand years after the fact. There was no eye of the needle gate in Jerusalem when this was being said. Jesus was looking for the biggest honking thing that he could use as a visual aid. How about this camel? Whoa, watch out, he spits. And then how about this little, tiny little hole right here that you can barely even see? It, if you cannot theo because stuff matters more, that's more important to you then it's easier for that to go through this than with that attitude to enter into the kingdom of God. I remember studying the Bible with this guy. He was an Amway guy. My apologies to any of you that are Amway people. And my condolences as well. Sorry. Don't, don't yell at John later. Just bring it to me directly. Uh, he had all these pictures up on the wall of, of you know, big houses and boats and Ferraris. And, and I was like... What is, what is all this, you know, and you, you got all this religion combined with your Amway stuff, and, and, and I was like, we're going to Mark 10, let's just go right there, and, and, and then we read it, and, and, and as we go on, it says, the disciples were more even amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, what is impossible, with man this is impossible, but not with God, all things are possible with God, and, and so the guy, the, the materialistic, semi-religious Amway guy, looks at me and says, see? I'm like, why are you smiling? Your face should be falling right now. He's like, what do you mean? With God, all things are possible. I was like, do you think that that means that you and your lust for Ferraris and boats and all of these things are, are going to be able to you know, have fun acolatheing and being able to acolatheo Jesus? And he's like, yeah. I was like, maybe, maybe, I could be spitballing here, but maybe what Jesus is saying, that all things are possible with God, meaning that even someone so wrapped up in their lust for stuff could actually repent of that, give it away, give it up, and actually value the things of Jesus. 
more than that. I could be. It's what everybody else did in the scriptures. I'm just, maybe I'm thinking out loud here. But listen what goes on. Jesus then spoke up. We have left everything to Akalatheo, you. Truly I tell you, Jesus said, no one who has left home, brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, children, fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. And with them, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, and along with them, persecutions, and when in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and last first. Why is it that it's a hundred times as much? Because Akalatheo is epic. Akalatheo is, is significant. Akalatheo. Akalatheo. You say it five times in a row like I've been doing. See how you do. But, because it's, it's not some mundane, milk-toast version malaise of a life that, that, that is before you. When you decide, I'm going to do Akalatheo. You know, near us is Bush Gardens, the amusement park. And as my kids have advanced in age, so have their uh, excitement for the better rides. And now, they're all of age, we have the Griffin, which is a great, wild, crazy ride. You go on, you, it looks like you're going to go down, and it's more than 90 degrees down, and, and the ride stops suddenly, and you're facing down, and you're hanging, actually, at that very moment. And they love it. They love it, because it's a thrill. And they don't go on that, that little ride with the elephants that just goes around in a circle anymore. And that's why it's a hundred times as much, because our life now is we're hanging over that edge. We're having the thrill of a lifetime. We're living large. We have life to the full. That's all part of Akalatheo. It is this radical, amazing ride, and we don't have to rely on some engineer to keep our lives straight. We got Jesus the whole way that we go through Akalatheo, even through the persecutions, even through all of the greater significance that life brings, hundred times as much, but it's because it's Jesus who is the one that we are actually following. Jesus, the great rabbi, the son of God, who is with us. And so with that, I think then it becomes just a little bit more clear to realize that as he says these words, whether it's to the men in the boat in Mark 1, or to Levi in Mark 2, or pick your, pick your passage. I mean, Akalatheo is all throughout. We're going to look at Luke 9 in just a moment where it appears too. But in every one of those, they would have understood, whoa, am I ready to enlist? Can I do all that? Can I really rearrange? Am I ready for this very thing? That's what they understood. And for us, we can't take that edge off for ourselves. If we have, time to get it back because the Bible cannot mean now what it could not have meant then. And whatever it meant then is what it was meant to be applied for even to us now. And what it meant then was clear as a bell of what their expectations were if they were to, to practice Akalatheo. Let's look at another one where we, where we see the call over and over again with regards to Akalatheo. Luke 9, turn over there, please. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will akalatheo you wherever you go. Jesus replied, now, by the way, there's probably a few of you like Glenn that know Greek, and they're like, you're not declining it right when you say, I'm just using the, the, the basic form of the, of the verb there, rather than putting it into the, uh, you know. Anyway, uh, I, will, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, 
Foxes have dens, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. It seemed to Jesus like he was a little bit too eager with this Akalatheo thing. You can't just say you're going to enlist and, and not really have the depth of conviction that you're going to see it through all the way to the end based on what you have as an impulse at the moment here. You know, and so he talks about dens and holes, which are, uh, are, are nests and, and dens, which are, are homes and place where you lay your head, which is your home. And he's basically saying to him, really, you're going to follow me? Well, this is how insecure life is going to be. You'll be homeless. There's nothing greater in terms of insecurity for us. Right? Think about you and your kids. What would be the worst thing to come home and say to the kids? We're homeless. There's no greater material insecurity than that very idea. Now, we have great spiritual security if we really do decide to follow Jesus, but we're not guaranteed any material security in that sense, as he basically lays out here. Well, he says to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. So we have Akalatheo here used over and over again. I already referenced this first area with regards to the lack of security, no place to lay your head. But I want to focus in right now on, uh, on verses uh, 59 and 60, where Jesus gives the command, follow me. The man gives an excuse, let me go bury my father. There's lots of ideas of what that might be, but I'm not going to focus on that right now. Jesus then addresses the excuse, let the dead bury their own dead, and then restates the command. You go and proclaim the kingdom of God. This is a form that is used all throughout our Bible. Matter of fact, I just, I just referenced one instance of that form being used, and it's called a chiasm. And it has to do with like a, the, the word cross, but it, but it is, is very much this idea of, a, of, of talking about topic A, talking about topic B, talking again about topic B, and then bringing it back again to topic A. Uh, it is, it is the, one of the most common rhetorical devices, both in the Old and the New Testament. Jesus uses it all the time. Paul uses it all the time. This idea of ABBA or even ABCCBA uh, is, is all over. I think, I think even earlier when I, when I talked about treasure in heaven, for example, just, you can just listen. You don't have to turn over to this. Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where moths and verse do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you go back and just diagram this, you'll see that this is classic A, B, B, A. Uh, the beginning is where, where, you're, where you're storing up your treasures. Second, moth and rust and vermin and, and what goes on there. Uh, again, uh, store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moths and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. And then back to treasure again, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Uh, anyway, uh, suffice to say, it's a very, very common idea. It's the idea that we have here, and since we have it here, it's sometimes worthwhile to at least recognize that there is a rhetorical device that is intentionally, purposefully being used by uh, Luke and also capturing Jesus' interaction with this man. And so we have the command first issued, follow me. And then the B, for the, the sake of this rhetorical structure, would be the excuse. I've got I to go bury my father. Jesus then goes back to B, addresses the excuse with let the dead bury their own dead. And, and you know, 
that, that really, you know, there's no scholarship that's definitive on this one, by the way. Was the dad actually dying? Was the dad actually dead? Was the boy having to take over as the firstborn son to, to be able to take care of the father's affairs? Any of those things could be. So there's nothing definitive there. So that's why I don't go into that one too deeply. So the command, the excuse, the excuse addressed, and then the command restated. But check this out. In the beginning, he states it as follow me. And then the parallel statement to follow me is you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. So what is it that is absolutely integral to following Jesus that cannot be pulled out of a claim to actually follow Jesus Christ. It is going and proclaiming the kingdom of God. And whether we say, well, I'm a follower, but I don't really do that, well, then we're not following. There's no akalatheo, as Jesus expects it there, or even as we meet people. And, you know, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in Virginia Beach, a few Bible believers down that way, and, you know, here, here we are up in, in Denver, and, you know, Colorado Springs is, is you know, nipping at your, your heels right below, and, my goodness, I mean, it doesn't get more religious probably in some of this swatch of land that we've got right here. And, and, and how many people would say, yeah, I'm, I'm a follower. I follow Jesus. Well, if you're a follower, then it has got to be the case, then your life is one of Akalatheo. And, and certainly, as the scriptures even kind of make clear to us, then it needs to be that following is going and proclaiming the kingdom of God. I mean, they do become then very much parallel statements. To follow is to go and preach the kingdom. It's, it's what Jesus desires. It's what Jesus did. If we're imitating him, how could it not happen? If we're imitating him, he will make us become from the inside out because we're giving our hearts externally, going after it as best we can, that we will become fishers of men. I remember when I was studying the Bible, and the one thing that I did not want to do is to go and fish for men. Because I was a young executive, it was all about the image at that point, but I did think that if I went to church, then I would look like a man of greater integrity and a man of greater character. And that's the only reason that I started to go to church. And so my, my, my neighbors, the Mines, you know, the, their family's here, but Mike Mines uh, intercepted me on a little walk through my neighborhood, sat down, started studying the Bible with me, and as soon as I started to realize that this was kind of about going and talking to people about Jesus... Jesus? I'm like, that's okay. No, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm all in for this. I, like, I like this Bible talk that we have at the house, and we're, you know, we're here in your living room, and we're talking about Jesus. That's great. In fact, my heart is beautiful. I feel like I'm blossoming, really. And, and, but, but to really go to, to that length, that won't be part of my walk. Because, you know, maybe I'm uniquely positioned to be able to do great things for God in the corporate corridors, and I can inspire others with my successful achievements that, that I have in life. Because I was only, you know, I was in my later 20s, and I had already made it into senior management and felt, felt like, oh, you know, my, my life was all about that. And, and it was very difficult to, to give all of that up. But what I, what I decided to do, thanks to their prompting, was just extrinsically to decide, all right, give your heart fully to whatever it is that you see Jesus do and whatever it is that Jesus tells you to do. And, and I just started doing it. And I remember just a couple weeks later, as I'm uh, at, at, at the office, I'm, I'm talking to people about Jesus. That Sunday, I had eight of my office mates at church with me. I'm like, how, how is this happening? It's like, bah, I didn't even mean to say it. Like, where's this coming from? The next week, they all went out to uh, 
you know, some, some food court, and they were ordering food there. And they came back laughing. I didn't get to go with, with kind of my, my, my office buddies that day. And they, they came back laughing, and they, they came back to talk to me. And they said, yeah, we're at the food court. And the guy there heard us talking about Coca-Cola stuff. And he said, oh, you're with Coke? We said, yes. He said, oh, I met a guy from Coca-Cola the other day. And the description didn't help. And, and they kept talking about who it might be. And then he said, oh, he asked me if I wanted to study the Bible with him. And then they all said, oh, that was Ed. And, and he goes, that's right, yeah, Ed Anton, Ed Anton, that's right, that's right. And you remember, so they came back laughing about that, and they came and they you know, kind of brought all this information to me. And I mean, this is just you know, weeks into either having become a disciple, and, and, and I'm looking around and thinking, how did this happen? Like the very thing I didn't want to have happen, like this is who I am now. Ah, oh, but cool nonetheless. Amen, I, I guess I got to go with it. Thank you, Jesus, for nonetheless making me a fisher of men probably even against my will in that, in that, whole, in that whole process. There's, there's one last um, observation from Luke 9 I want to look at before we get out of this section. And that is this, these last two verses. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus said, anyone who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for service in the kingdom of God. The one advantage, too, especially that the people in the audience of Jesus would have had is that they knew their Bibles. I mean, they really did know their Bibles. Uh, there was no TV. If you, if you begin a, a phrase today uh, that's a, you know, a commercial jingle, you, know, you can all finish it for me. But there, all they had was the Bible. And they were so immersed in the Bible that if you began something or made even an oblique reference to it, they immediately knew all that was being told to them by that little bit of a, of a reference. But there is no doubt, because the reference is such a parallel reference here, when he says to the, to the man, the man comes to him and says, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Luke puts this in here, I believe, because it is such a clear parallel to the great example of discipleship, the best example of discipleship in the Old Testament besides Moses and Joshua, and that is Elijah and Elisha. And, and that is in 1 Kings chapter 19. Let's, let's take a quick peek at that. Getting there, getting there. You know, sometimes you know, I like to give a little practical advice, even in teaching, as I hear the page is still turning. Uh, to, to get to 1 Kings, just go to 2 Kings, and it's a book right before it. You got it. You got it. You guys are so encouraging, let me tell you. Is, I mean, yeah, this is great. I feel a lot of love in this room. Verse 19. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. So he was a pretty wealthy guy. Elijah went up to him, threw his cloak around him, Elisha then left his oxen, ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah said. What have I done to you? That phrase is used a couple different times in the Old Testament. You know, what, what is it that I have done to you? What am I to you? Uh, David says it to his brothers. Now, what have I done? Uh, and it's this idea of, was, was this too difficult? Is this offensive to you in, in some way or another? And it was a bit of a, a reproof actually, back to Elisha. But what is interesting is, is that he does actually go back and say goodbye to his family. 
it says verse 21, so Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. So he became his tamaldin, which would be a, a Hebrew way of saying a, a, a disciple of a, of a rabbi. And so we have this, this great parallel. Jump, jump back again then to Luke, Luke 9, because this is really inspiring. Because in the Old Testament, the call from Elijah to Elisha, which I think if any of us thought, whoa, what if I were in that position? What if I was called to be God's man to wayward Israel, or even with regards to you know, Ahab and Jezebel running around and all that that involved at that very time? What if, what if that were, were I? I think I said that correctly. What, what would I do? in that very spot. And here, he brings it to the New Testament. The very call to follow Jesus is more radical than the call for Elisha to follow Elijah. And it is positioned as more radical because while here, when the man asks, let me go, by, go back and kiss my family goodbye, in the New Testament, Jesus actually doesn't leave room for even that. That's how urgent, that's how important, that's how critical our work is to be able to expand the work of Christ. But in the Old Testament, Elisha was actually afforded the opportunity to even be able to go back. Now, when he did go back, it was radical. And him putting his hand to the plow wasn't the idea of putting his hand to the plow and saying, oh, but I love this plow, what should I do? No, 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 he put his hand to the plow only to burn it up along with the, the oxen themselves. Uh, because it, it could have even been something of a bit of a distraction. I think he was so convicted by that basic reproof that was given to him. What, what have I done to you now at that moment? So putting your hand to the plow is not, and I know we've talked about this a lot. I, I have, what, I mean, hundreds of times. That, well, here's the deal. If you ride a bicycle, you know, you've got to look forward. If you turn around, you're going to swerve, and then the, you know, the fields are all going to be messed up. Or, or you know, when you, when you mow the lawn, you know, you've got to kind of look down the, the, the line, or else if you, if you look back, you know, your, your lines are going to be all messed up. Jesus isn't concerned about you know, whether your lines are messed up here or not. And it's not about whether you, know, you have your hand on the lawn. It's, he's saying, you know what? Take that lawnmower and just throw it right into the dumpster right now. That, that's not what is, it's going to be about anymore. And teens are like, yeah, he said. No, I, <laughs> metaphorically. <laughs> uh, but but, but it, it is the idea that if, if you're about to follow me, it is, there, there is nothing left behind that needs to be in any way vying for your attention, your affections, your allegiances, your ambition, your agenda. And if I could think of another A word, it would be inserted at this moment right now. It's awkward. There you go. <laughs> but here's, here's what gives me pause it gives me goosebumps, and then it makes the hair on the back of my neck go up all at the same time, because it's so intense and so frightening, is that the call of Jesus to us, and this is not a call to an apostle right here. The apostles have already been chosen, right? That, that's already taken care of. This is just additional disciples, anybody that would be a disciple. That's why this passage is so, I don't know, difficult to kind of wriggle out of. And the, the, the call here. For us, for any of us that would follow Jesus, is more important, more intense, more intimate, more significant than the call 
of Elisha to follow and to take on the ministry of Elijah. For each and every one of us, your ministry is more important than the ministry of Elisha. And, you know, and so we know that, it, that, that we're greater than John the Baptist. John the Baptist is greatest of anybody in the Old Testament. Sometimes we just dismiss all of that, but then sometimes it all comes around again and we suddenly realize, whoa, who I am called to be in Jesus. And this passage makes it very clear because to an early audience, they would have known exactly. Whoa, he's talking about Elisha. Whoa, he, he had the chance to kind of go take This call is so intense that we can't even do that. We've got to just get after it right here, right now with Jesus Christ. And also with this idea of the apostles, some people say, well, I think it was just the apostles that went out and preached the word. We know Acts 8 kind of mitigates against that too. But this passage does too. Anybody who follows needs to be able to go and proclaim the kingdom of God. It's not just for the ministers. It's not just for those who, I don't know, are somewhat gifted, supposedly, in in that area. It's not for that. It is not a gift. It is a command. It is a basic consideration of what it is to akalatheo, of what it is to be about Christ. The charge that we've been given is one that is ought to give us pause. Every morning when we get up to realize, can I follow today? And I really do that a very thing. When I sing that song after a baptism, I have decided to follow Jesus. Am I just kind of singing it half-heartedly? Or is the depth, the, the depth of, the, of the gravitas of, of that very statement really reaching me from my toes on up, realizing what it is that I'm called to be every single day of my life? Now, let me encourage you that every day as you get ready, you've got a great cloud of witnesses and you've got Jesus all looking at you with that same intensity, that same love, that same purposefulness, just looking at you and just simply saying, follow me. Let's take the break.